Uh, bonjour, I'm Terence Galente, your American friend in Paris, coming to you live from uh, Café Terence in Paris's Troisième Arrondissement. And on the line with me is my guest, Max Allen Collins, along with his colleague, James L. Trailer, is the author of Splane, King of Pulp Fiction. Well, congratulations on the book, and uh, welcome to Paris. Thank you, and I, you know, it's always nice when a book is a, a nice physical object. And, I can't uh, stand reading those things online either. Oh, and, and Mysterious Press did a lovely job on just putting this together as a package. Yeah, I can't, I can't make notes. It just, it, you know, a, a lot of, I won't review a lot of books because I can't get a physical uh, copy of the book in my hand. But that's, uh, that's another discussion in another world. Anyway, Mickey, Mickey Spillane, 3.6 million copies of Eye of the Jury, uh, the one author that my father read when he had time back in the <laughs> early 50s. And uh, probably if he's known at all today, it's, he's known as a beer salesman with the blonde from uh, the producers on his arm in those uh, crazy Miller Lite commercials. Uh, so he's more known as a beer salesman than as a writer. But I'm of the, I'm the opinion, uh, having read the book and having a, a sense of that period, that uh, Mickey was a product of, of World War II, the armed forces editions uh, uh, of books, the explosion of paperback books, the 25-cent copies that I bought in, in the drugstore in my neighborhood, uh, and, it, and, and the influence that it had on, on film noir. So as, as a background, let's talk about the origins of, of Mickey Splane. Just for the record, I got to get this in. He did not go to St. Erasmus High School. There is no St. Erasmus. He went to Erasmus Hall in Flatbush, which was also where Barbara Streisand and my grandmother went to school and where I would, would have gone to school if I were not a wise, smart kid who went to Brooklyn Technical High School. So now I, I get that out of the way. Now I can praise the book. Let's talk. I, I stand corrected. <laughs> I'm not going to be the only guy from Brooklyn that's going to call you on that one. Well, I may, I may have, why don't I blame my, my co-author on that? So I can Absolutely. Just what does he know, right? Right. So back to my, my, my comment. Yes, what, what's your comment? I got lost in the correction. <laughs> uh, I'm of the opinion that the Second World War, the Armed Forces oh. editions, everything that happened changed everything. It changed filmmaking. It's, it, it changed uh, the way people lived, the way people fought. You, know, you couldn't come back from that horrible experience and uh, you know, and go look at singing in the rain with the same perspective. Well, you know that he he told me that he noted those little paperbacks that they gave to the you know to the GIs uh, back in the day, just little cheap free paperbacks that were distributed, and it it rang a bell with him that that was the future. A tree grows in Brooklyn, I think, was the most highly read book of that era. You're really fixated on Brooklyn here. I I, I tell well, you, man, I you know I, I, I thought I was Brooklyn. talking to parents. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, but uh, Mickey did not appear as a paperback original, but he 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 really jump started the paperback original. Fawcett Books, gold medal books, which are very famous um, as sort of a noir kind of paperback. Really, that company was formed to fill the market that Mickey had revealed. And and sometimes I think people don't understand whether you whether you like him as an author or not. He had an incredible uh, impact on publishing in America, and of course he, his character Mike Hammer had a huge impact on how how tough male characters 
uh, were were depicted for decades, even even to this day. Everyone wanted to be Mike Hammer. That's right. And, and it's one of the interesting things about how he's endured, and Mickey has endured. He's he's not on the level that he I feel he should be, but it, it has been the media stuff that has that has that has kept him somewhat in the public eye. You mentioned the 18 years of Miller Lite commercials, but there's there's also there were three different Stacy Keach TV series which were quite popular in the in the 80s and up into the 90s and then Kiss Me Deadly mm-hmm. has turned out a movie that at the time Mickey despised has been one of the things that's kept him alive all these years because it's a, it's one of the handful of really major film noirs. Well, Robert Robert Aldrich and uh, and a great performance uh, by Ralph Meeker. Oh, fabulous. Uh, and and actually one of the fun things I I've had in my experience with Mickey knowing him was that uh, I would I would argue for Kiss Me Deadly and I would explain to him why I thought that was an important film. And by the end of his lifetime, I had actually turned him, turned his opinion on it. And when one of the last interviews he gave, he was asked who he thought the best screen my camera was. Well, he thought he was the best screen my camera, of course. <laughs> Next to himself, he mentioned Ralph Meeker. So that that was kind of a uh, major accomplishment of mine. No, and I thought, you know, in the early TV series, which I didn't watch as a child in Brooklyn, just for the record, I'm not that old. But when Darren McGavin, uh, you know, he had a, a nice feel to him. And considering you had such a limited amount of, uh, of production value going into those programs in the early 50s. But I, I thought he nailed him, in a, you know, differently, uh, you know, cinematically. I, I thought Meeker, who was an actor who, uh, to me, may have been his quintessential role. He played many, yes. many good supporting roles. But I, I think he really nailed the character. Uh, at Kiss, you know. Kiss Me, comma, Deadly, right? Well, it's Kiss Me, Deadly in the movie, and it's Kiss Me, comma, in the book, which was Mickey supposedly insisted that they get rid of, that they destroy the first printing of of the paperback because they had left the comma out. So he really did care about language. He did really care about words. I think one of the reasons that McGavin was cast is that he resembled Mickey. Mm-hmm. And that he, he they they were very alike and in, in, in their affable manner as as hard bitten and hard boiled as Mike Hammer was, uh, Mickey himself was just a, you know was affable, and so so was McGavin and he yeah, brought I think you, certain... you you could feel a sense of humor in the guy. Yeah, and, and McGavin always claimed that he had shot two or three episodes, and they they came to him and said you're putting too much humor in, and he said well then fire me. <laughs> You know, have it be about my camera's brother or something. It's because I don't think this material can come across unless you have a little bit of tongue in cheek when you present it. It wouldn't be credible. It would be like a cartoon, I think. Yeah, and, and Mickey did come out of the comic books, mm-hmm. and uh, but he he did have a, a tongue in cheek sense of humor that sometimes is is missed. He he knew just how over the top my camera was. Well, not just to insert, not to mention uh, comic books, but you you wrote a book called uh, "The Road to Perdition," which curiously enough was on French television last night. Now, really? I didn't I didn't watch it in French. I've recently watched it again uh, in, in English, and it, you know, quite good. I'm very happy with the Mendes's work. I hope you were. Yeah, it's a terrific movie. Uh, it, it was. 
it was it was a, a crazy time in my life because they there was a um there was a pending writer strike in Hollywood. So this production came together much faster than they usually do. And I had a week of phone calls where my agent would call and say, uh, well, Tom Hanks is in it. And then he'd call and say, well, Sam Mendes is going to direct it. And then it would be like, well, Paul Newman's in it. And this, it, it was, I live in Iowa in the middle of the country. And it, it couldn't have been a more surreal week for me. And I, I turned to my wife and say, Paul Newman's going to be in this movie. And so, so people would say to me, how do you feel about what they did to the, you know, did to your book? Well, first of all, as James M. Cain said, my book is right there. They haven't done anything to it. It's, 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 it's right there on the shelf. But anytime Hollywood wants to put a cast like that together and make an infomercial for me, I'm fine. Absolutely. I mean, Elroy had made a similar comment, and then he kind of backed off, uh, and then I think he's come back to accept Only Confidential as, uh, you know, as being a damn good movie. And then he, you know, he took the money, kept his mouth shut, uh, which I guess is what one does. Well, you, you, you do take the money, but you also have to realize, uh, you know, I've written a couple of small films and uh, the, you know, they are different, just the mediums are different. And Road to Perdition, for example, there were there were three parts to it that were originally intended to be published. This is a graphic novel, right? Yeah, it was a graphic novel. It was 300 some pages, very episodic. Mm -hmm. And in the in the graphic novel, for example, there were a succession of hitmen who went after this father and son. When they put it together as a movie, they turned those hitmen into <clears throat> Jude Law, who's the, that character is not one that I created. But obviously it was out of my DNA that he- It would was. be the Seven Samurai. It'd be a six hour movie if they- uh... Exactly, exactly. And so, so uh, I, because the, you often see short stories turned into movies more effectively, you know, than, than novels because the ideal, probably the ideal format to adapt would be a novella, would be because screenplays are like 100, 100 120 pages tops usually. Yeah, and, and, and everything is suggested and the filmmaker has the ability to, to work with it and sense it. Uh, when you, uh, I, I see, I thought that Hanson and Hegland did a great job in, in cutting the book down to a, a reasonable, uh, size to get everything in there. I would but, agree. Uh, you know, uh, but I think Elroy has come come to accept uh, come to accept that. But let's go back Kiss a little me bit. Deadly to Mickey. Was, Kiss me deadly. Excuse me, but Kiss me deadly was similar because <laughs> Aldrich and, and Bezzarides, the 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 writer who was mm -hmm. a great writer, they would always say they threw the book out. But if you actually have read the book and and see the movie, almost every major incident in the in the film is there. But it is compressed. And it's because even even with a book like Kiss Me Deadly, which is probably only 65,000 words, you know, you still have to do it in 80, 90 minutes sure. as a as a as in a those days, particularly. Yeah. yeah. Well, those, as long as we're talking about film, let's go back to a little bit to, to Victor Seville. Yes. Uh, I, the jury uh, with John Alton, the great John Alton great. as the as the uh, cinematographer and Franz Voxman as the music director. And you Fantastic. I, can we. I, can we even call it a B or a B minus? Amazing. Yeah, I, and it's finally it's finally out. And I think I don't know if it's out in France or not, but I saw it on OK.ru. Well, what's where you really want to see it is in 3D, because that's really the only 3D movie that uh, that Alton 
Uh, well, really, it's the only 3D noir that I know of. I think mm -hmm. there's a couple of minor ones. The silly thing with Ray Moland and a gorilla that, in, that escapes me. <laughs> For <laughs> yes, good well, reason. The gorilla always escapes in those movies, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, uh, Biff Elliott was cast as Hammer, and I think he got something of a bad rap because what happened, Hammer was a first-person character that Spillane never described. And he was somebody that these GIs that you talked about who mm -hmm. came home, they all identified with him. So when they went to that movie, nobody was satisfied with with how Mike Hammer had been brought to life. But if you look at it now, he seems he seems pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. And he has to he also has to be at once kind of a comic book character, but also has to be a real human. And that's that's not that's not an easy thing to bridge. What's the closing line to that film? It was easy. <laughs> actually, no, we're it's not, not going to tell people film. they have to see it to wait for the line. That's right. Actually, actually, they they added a line of 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 uh, of exposition to the end of it about about a nice. They had to go out and find a nice basket for the person. We'll just say person. Person. Right. Uh, not that it's a very surprising mystery. No. Uh, uh, although what is surprising about it is how much the construction is like something out of Agatha Christie. There's a, a bunch of suspects. There there had been a party where they had all attended, and he just goes around and talks to each of the suspects when he's not beating somebody up or sure. somebody's beating him up. Well, being a young guy like yourself, significantly younger than uh, the you know the the Ls grief from Brooklyn. When did you I don't first? Know if that's true. I'm it it is 30, true. No, I'm going to be 75 next month. Are you really? Yes, I am. Well, you caught up to me. All right. I'm 75. I'm on your, yeah, that's that's my breath on your neck. But I've been 75 for three years because I thought that <laughs> 72, 73. This is a bullshit age. 75 has gravitas, baby. It does. You it know? does. 72. Fact, it, this is know, the 75th anniversary of Mike Hammer because and, he and, and Terrence Galenter and Max Collins. Right. Come on. All, all the biggies. Absolutely. All the biggies. So the, the question in between all of this, uh, this you know, a commentary, when did you first discover my camera or, or Mickey Spillane? Well, I used to see on the the, the spinner racks, you know, of, of mm -hmm. the paperbacks uh, at a place called Khan's Newsland in Muscatine, Iowa, where I still live. Uh, and I would I would see those covers, those vivid covers, and uh, I would read the endings and I would, you know, kind of hide on the side of the spinner rack where, where they couldn't see me because I was probably 12. And then around that well, time. Those are pretty I, sexy images for a 12-year-old oh, yeah. guy. I had no idea what was going <laughs> on. I just knew it was wild. And then uh, the Darren McGavin TV show started. And that was probably that. And then I saw I, the jury on TV. And I got very interested. I wanted to read those books. And I actually had to lie about my age to buy, even though there was no, you know, R rating or anything on on the books. But but I try to buy a book and they'd say, oh, how old are you? And I'd say 13. And they wouldn't sell it to me. So I, I finally started saying I was 16. And the first one I read, which really ruined me in the best sense, was was One Lonely Night, which is the book in which my camera decides that God has put him on earth to kill the evil people. Okay, so that's not Sam Spade. 
That's not Philip Marlowe. That's a whole different thing. I think he was the first post-traumatic stress major hero, uh, anti-hero, uh, because he is a guy who carries the, the, the Pacific with him, the, you know, what, what he suffered there and, and the suffering he probably uh, endowed upon his, the enemy. Yeah, which was shared by all of these millions of guys coming back. That's right. That's right. You know? And that's, I think, why those books exploded in the way that they did. And yeah, the I, first think he, he, books, I think he arrived at a moment that it, just, it was the perfect storm. Of absolutely. What he was doing and, and the audience that was just, wait, didn't know what they wanted, but they knew it when they saw it. I think because Mickey would kind of, Mickey had a lot of kind of BS stories that he told. And, and one of them was that he foresaw all this. And to some degree, I think he probably did because of the paperbacks we talked about mm -hmm. that they distributed. But basically, he was in the right place at the right time. His instinct was that the, the returning servicemen needed something steamier in terms of sex and needed something more violent in terms of the kind of homogenized way it had been depicted in the past. And he did not know he was you know throwing a grenade into publishing uh but he did he did and those first six books still are strong medicine now the the sexual content is you know a lot of a lot of doors close and we wonder what happened on the other side but he still writes like sam peckinpah had made movies the, I mean, the lubich touch <laughs> yes yes but but the you know the the violence in those books is still just you know amazing mm -hmm. uh he he did you know that still is just as potent today as it ever was and there was i think a noir poetry that wasn't recognized at the time and you think think about kiss me deadly just how it opens with a woman leaping in front of this car and this i mean it's an amazing Not scene. A woman cloris leachman for christ's sakes who is from iowa by the way <laughs> okay the late cloris leachman yes okay. Yes, and so was Forrest Evershevsky. Yeah, this or, is or maybe not. True. I mean, he may not have been from Iowa, but you know, I, I don't know. But but that is an Iowa name. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm right here in the middle of the country. I, people always wondered why I didn't move to Hollywood or didn't move to New York. So why didn't you? Well, I just did not think you. I thought you could write anywhere. I also didn't feel like uh, the Midwest had been properly served by crime fiction. Everything was about. LA and and New York and Chicago was just waiting there for somebody to pick it up which you talk about the Chicago books which have been hard for me to find yeah I know. I'm sorry about that that's, that's not sorry. your fault you know but, but they're available on ebook but neither one of us want to read ebooks no I've no. sold an enormous number of ebooks and Wait, I don't know well, the reader name <laughs> the character again please for the audience Nathan Heller, uh, there's a new one out right now. In fact, I think it sounds like a nice Jewish boy from Maxwell Street. Yeah, well, he's he. Yeah, this is the new one. Uh, the big bundle. Okay. The big bundle, and uh, it, it the, looks like a Samuel Z. Arkoff uh, movie poster. Well, you know, I actually, I, I, I've for years been saying that I wanted them to to do the covers like movie posters, because they they're a combination of a private eye novel, but bit but historical sweep. So I wanted to see, you know, Jimmy Hoffa and mm -hmm. Robert Kennedy and a and a gangster and a beautiful woman and a private eye and that kind of fun. 
Kind I mean, Arkoff was from Fort Dodge, by the way. He yeah. said, you this know, give me an all Iowa show. Give me a Brooklyn boy's doing. On no, this no, show. no, no. You know, but I know about Iowa. But, you know, give me a co- give me a poster like that book cover with a girl in a, you know, and, yeah. and fifty thousand dollars. And I'll make a great movie. Well, not a great movie. I'll make a ton of money with that movie. You'll make a movie worth watching. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Who else? Who else do we know from Iowa? You know, forget about the kid on, on Radar O'Reilly, but somebody serious. Well, I'm here. Yeah, I, dumb. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, insult, Mark, insult your Mark guess. Twain. Mark Twain worked on the Muscatine Journal, which is the local paper here. Hmm. Mark Twain lived here for a while, and said it had this that we had the most beautiful sunsets in the United States. I well, think he might be right. That's why you're there. And we'll go back to you. So you're 13 and you're picking up your first um, Mickey Spillane. Well, what were you reading at the time? Were you were you like uh, reading, uh, you know, uh, t- uh, Hardy Boys, Tom Swift, uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea as as a young kid? Well, sure, I read all that, but I came up through comic books and I was a big Dick Tracy fan. Ironically, years later, I became the writer of the Dick Tracy comic strip. But the, you know, Dick Tracy was, I was talking to my wife the other day about the fact that I realized I was seven years old when I, I started seeing the level of violence that, that Chester Gould was putting in that comic strip. And I know that had a terrible effect on me, thank God, because that's, 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 I've had a wonderful life uh, because of it. But right around the, the end of the 50s, there was this craze of, TV private eyes, and most of them were based yeah, Richard on, Diamond. Yeah, and most of them were based on or either derived from Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler. Mm-hmm. And it became clear that Hammett, Chandler, and Spillane were the three, the three big names in private eye fiction. I started with Hammett, worked my way through Chandler, loved them, and I'd go research them and see that they were beloved, that they they got great reviews. Even in the day, they got great reviews. And then I read Spillane and loved him. And when I went to, to research him, he was despised by critics. And, of course, I didn't understand that he was being perceived as, as, as kind of a right-wing McCarthy-era kind of figure. And I just was a kid wondering, well, why do they like Hammett and why do they like Chandler and they don't like Spillane? Well, as he said, he loved he loved those negative reviews. Well, which is coming to I think I think it hurt him very deeply. Really? And he, yeah, I think that was was uh, part of the BS. He he put a big bulletin board of his bad reviews. Mm-hmm. Let's hope they they do. You well, he know, took out an ad, I think, with all, all of the yeah. bad reviews. And he, he did do it. But. If you go back and look, and this is one of the things that Jim and I talk about in, in the in in the biography, is he was just blamed for everything from juvenile delinquency to the, you know, uh, the, the the sexual degradation of America. I mean, he was he was uh, like comic books. You, you probably are very familiar with Seduction of the Innocent by Dr. Frederick Wortham, the the book that was the that took on comic books and said comic books were evil. There was one author, it was all about comic books and one author, and that author was Mickey Spillane. So he had a very special place in America in the 50s where he was hugely popular and was like a despised figure in many quarters. That to me is interesting, and that's kind of the heart of 
of the biography and and to find out that he was as a human being an affable kind of sweet guy to tell you the truth he was he was he was a well, you know him quite well and that, that comes through in you know in in the writing well i i in your I, writing yeah. one of the things that i think about frequently when 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 he pops into my mind is we were in we were in florida and it was the launch at Disney World of uh, the Mike Danger comic book that he and I did together, which was a science fiction version of Mike Hammer, essentially. And he was walking down the beach with my 10 or 11-year-old son, who was his godson. Mm-hmm. Who And you just saw two kids walking down the beach. I mean, the way they were interacting they were you know there there were two 11 year old kids on the beach and and i'm thinking this is the most notorious sex and violence writer in the history of american publishing and he's you know i'm I'm not as surprised because i i uh, i've uh, interviewed elroy on a couple of occasions and he he appeared at at an event actually i did with eddie muller in san francisco many many years ago and he does that whole you know demon dog uh, we won't say what he says but at the end of the day, he's a nice Midwestern kid who was very nice to my girlfriend at the time, who was very well-mannered to older people, uh, is very generous uh, to people who are downtrodden because he had, he had been there. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the more I, I look at it, look at him, I look at, at, at Mickey, uh, maybe that's the, the reality. Maybe the, the books at some level enable him to, to deal with other demons or other issues. Not that I'm a psychoanalyst here, but fundamentally it, it disguises who they are. I think it's I think it's very interesting to look at these at, at these major players. You look at you look at Hammett, very interesting guy, uh, and uh, a communist really. I mean, he was he was definitely definitely. Uh, but and but he a was patriot, living with one. But he was a patriot too at a very yeah at a at an advanced age, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. He, he gets into the military. Uh, because he was he was an American patriot. Then you have Chandler doesn't even start writing till, you know, till he's about fifty. And is living in England for quite some period of time. Yeah, and was born in England. And so the, none of these guys are exactly the same. I mean, it would be fun to if you could have all of these these people sit on a panel together. It would be really something to hear. But well, Steve Allen had a show like that. Yes, uh, he did. Do you remember? I, I, I do. But he would yeah, like his I, his wife would be uh, Marie Antoinette. And yeah. somebody else would be Spinoza. I mean, you know, all of these cross, you know, generational guys, and then having real conversations about contemporary issues. He was a very nice man, Steve Allen. I I met you him know? once. Yeah, I met him once at at a at a, at a ABA. I get, and he said, "Give me your." And I just in passing met him mm-hmm. and had a little conversation with him. He said, "Give me your address," and I hardly was home before I had an autographed book in my. Yeah, it was also great, you know, a, a great musician. That's a great song. Yeah, you know, he's a terrific jazz musician. He he played Benny Goodman in in the Benny Goodman story. Yes, he did. Yes, you know? he did. <laughs> no, but he was uh, he was wacky uh, in you know, could, in 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 a, in a great way. Could uh, we find a way to date ourselves even more? <laughs> well, I mean, it's uh, dating ourselves might be better than dating some of the other candidates. You know, that's true. Put it in perspective. We have a couple of minutes before they cut us off here with the the Zoom uh, guillotine. <laughs> uh, 
you you mentioned at the end of the book that you don't want to you're not you're not going to be uh you know the james bond uh, rewriter you're not going to rewrite mickey no. what do you hope uh this book will do in in terms of maybe turning on another generation or uh, having people take a, a more critical look at them in a positive way well i hope the latter and then the the, the work i've done with uh with mickey's unfinished manuscripts mm. we're kind of approaching the end of that process now I will have done 15 Mike Hammer books, all with significant Spillane content. Okay. Uh, and now we're to the point where the content is a little bit less. But the first about eight books, I'd have like 100 pages of... of well, these have been published. These will be published. Oh, they've all been published. All been all, published. Yeah. Okay. All been, except the last two, because they haven't been written yet. Although this is all, all... Is this uh, Otto again, Otto Prenzler? Otto did the first three uh, when he was at Houghton Mifflin, and then when he left Houghton Mifflin, I went to Titan, uh, which is a publisher in England, and a, a guy named Nick Landau and and uh, editor Andrew Sumner, big Hammer Splane fans and supporters, and we, you know, and we picked up there, and have done. Right now, we've done thirteen, which doubles the number of books. Interestingly about Mickey is he only did 13 Mike Hammer books. Mm -hmm. He did a lot of books, but there were only 13. And if you look at how many, say, Perot books that Agatha Christie wrote or <laughs> uh, Neural Wolf books that uh, Rex Stout wrote, you know, the, uh, there were 100 Perry Mason books. I mean, literally 100 Perry Mason books by Earl Stanley Gardner. So it's of the famous literary detectives that there were only 13 books uh, but there were many unfinished manuscripts, and so mm -hmm. I, I have set out to uh, expand it and keep him in the culture and keep people reading him, I hope. We have more time than I thought. We must have gotten started later, or they, or they didn't count it properly. They have, they have, so we can, you know, we can continue to schmooze here. Uh, how did you come to meet Mickey? <clears throat> well, I had written Mickey many, many fan letters over the years uh, and never got a response. Uh, I, I mean, just dozens of fan letters to him through junior high, high school, and so on. And But I also was kind of his defender. As I mentioned, I realized that he was attacked. And so I had done essays about him. I'd written about him while I was in college at the University of Iowa. And I, was, I got a reputation in mystery fiction, not only as a mystery writer, but, well, that's the Spillane guy. That's the guy who knows about Mickey Spillane. And so there was a convention in Milwaukee at BoucherCon, the big mystery mm -hmm. fan and mystery writer convention. And Mickey was invited to be the uh, guest, one of the guests of honor. And they asked me to be his liaison. So we went to his, and I'd never met him. And I'd had one letter from him when I sent him my first two books that came out. And he wrote me one nice, really warm letter welcoming me to, to the, mystery writing community. So so we go to his hotel room and he knock on the door and he comes in and the guy from the convention says, Mickey, this is Max Collins and he's going to be your your liaison here with, with the convention. And he said, well, I know Max, we've been corresponding for years. And I said, that's right, Mickey, a hundred letters from me, one letter from you. That's a correspondence, that's right. And, and that, you know, that was that, that kind of brash, uh, you know, you know, comment from me warmed his heart, I guess, and we were immediately good friends. 
and I started visiting him once or twice a year in South Carolina where he lived and uh, Jim Trailer came along a couple times Jim and I found out we were each should we, should we give uh, Jim at least a minute absolutely Jim had approached me we, we've done three books who, who was Jim who is Jim Jim uh, well Jim is a uh, is is a writer he is all has written a lot of good things about particularly the pulp writers and has a number has published a number of books on his own and he approached me in in the early 80s saying knowing that I had announced I was going to do a book on Mickey uh, that uh, he was going to do a book and let's just put them together and 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 do one book and not be can not be competitors and we became very very good friends we did that book in 1984 as best we could because Mickey would not, I mean, there were certain places Mickey just would not go in, in terms of uh, interviews. And then we did a, then I did a documentary on him in 1999 and he did cooperate with me. I had five hours of interview footage with Mickey. And what's the name of that film and where, where, that, where that is it called Mike Hammer's Mickey Spillane. And we're bringing out it's later this year we're bringing out an expanded version of it that goes beyond the end of his life so we can talk about what what well, is keep happening. me posting because I, I a i'd like to see it well, we'll get it i'm to in you. i'm in that weird zone over here you know the, i'm in the i'm in europe but whatever but i'd still like we'll get I, it to I, you we'll get like it to, to see you. it and we can uh, we can talk about it and i'll be happy to promote it at, at the site as well but he and I also did a book a few years ago called uh, Mickey Splane on Screen, which was about them specifically about the TV and the and the movies. And then finally, we've been talking to Otto for years about doing uh, doing a definitive biography. And it's tricky because I have gotten some criticism about, well, you're writing the biography of somebody who is your friend. Is that you know is that kosher? I'm like, well, am I supposed to be his enemy? I mean. I'm, you know, I've gotten a certain amount of criticism for having in, an inside track on him. Now, to me, that's a precious thing that I know what he was really like and that I did talk to him. But as you, you read the book, so you know what I did was anything that was a memoir kind of thing, I separated from the rest of the text. Sure. I did, I did it in ital italics, which is a real Spillane technique. <laughs> and. And you know, double double character turn, and then I'd go first person and talk about m meeting Mickey, and then get back into the book because I wanted I did want the book to be at least somewhat objective, and then I had I had Jim to keep me honest as well, and Jim did. Oh, no, and why would one want to devote an enormous amount of energy to someone who you despised? Uh, although you know, maybe if you're writing about the uh, the current Henry Kissinger as opposed to the guy we knew 50 years ago or whatever, uh, you know, it, things change. Uh, but I, you know, you, I, it's like hiring somebody who hates movies to be a movie critic. Uh, I know, and and, and the the thing about uh, I, I know somebody, and we've had incredibly great reviews. But one one reviewer said, "Well, why why are they bothering defending somebody who who was writing years ago?" And the problem is when he's e evoked now, they still, you know, like if you look at the stuff about Kiss Me Deadly, the film, sure, you'll have all of these film critics who just dismiss Mickey and, and, and all his work as well. He was a, you know, vulgarian and he was a hack and this, and they've never read him, of course. Of course. They, they've never read him. 
One of the things, even back in the day when they were criticizing him, there was a paragraph, a very violent paragraph from The Big Kill, one of his books. And all of the critics would use the same paragraph to, to show how violent he was. And I'm thinking, seems to me they're reading each other. They're not reading Mickey. Mm-hmm. Because they're all quoting, how are they, you know, you've got six novels here. They're all quoting the same paragraph. That's what we call suspicious in the mystery fiction. Uh, uh, well, also, you know, the, the sense of, uh, I, was, I just watched a phenomenal documentary, which I think is opened in New York and L.A. on the two Bobs, Robert Gottlieb and, and Robert Carroll, whom I, I have met. Uh, and, and Gottlieb is talking about, you know, discovering a book that was written 150 years ago. Well, mm-hmm. he just discovered it. It's yeah. new. It, it's, you know, it, it's important. It, you know, it, it speaks to him. I think the same thing is true here. You know, we're I mean, we're reading Chandler, what, practically a hundred years after the fact, right? Or, or Hammett. Uh, they didn't get they didn't get worse. I mean, uh, the quality is still there. The writing, the, everything about it, is, is, and then what it what it says about the time, about the zeitgeist. It's all you know. It's all well, important. If you, and if I, you read if you read uh, a typical mystery from the nineteen early nineteen thirties. And then you read Hammett, it's startling how mm-hmm. modern it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I find I find Conan Doyle startlingly modern. I mean, he almost writes like Hammett. Studying Scarlet when he when he takes on the Mormons is as brutal and violent a piece of writing as you want to read. Yeah, it's so so the the, the, the really, scholars, really great stuff studying. holds up. The really yeah, great yeah, stuff. amazingly. And we have, uh, we have a, just a brief amount of time, so I want to remind everyone that the, the book is Spillane, King of Pulp Fiction. It's right here. Right. Oh, yeah. But we're not on video. Max Allen <laughs> Collins with a little bit of help from James L. Trailer. So as a final thought. A lot uh, of help from James L. Trailer. Yes, James L. <laughs> what does the L stand for? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We know that Francis X. Bushman is Xavier because every Irishman named Francis Francis X <laughs> is Xavier. Uh, so uh, just let's say something to the audience out there that may not be aware of, of Mickey. Why should they be reading this your book, certainly, and then why should that lead them to the Spillanes, to the, to the Mike Hammers? Well, our book, I think, is, is interesting because it's half literary biography and half show business biography, because Mickey was very much of a a media guy. And I think you really get a glimpse, more than a glimpse, a really good look at a major part of what happened in the mid 20th century, really right up to the end of the century. I wanna thank my guest, Max Collins from Muscatine, Iowa. Yes, sir. Uh, and it's been great talking to you. Uh, great su- success with the book. Continue uh, writing uh, films like The Road to Position. And the uh, book is available February the 9th in bookstores all over America. Or you can pre-order it online if you want to go that way. Line so up it. now. Line up right now. Well, buy it now. <laughs> it's not wait. Thank you, Max. Terrence, thank you very, very much. It's been a pleasure. We'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us, and please share your comments and suggestions at Terrence at Paris-Expat.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E at Paris-E-X-P-A-T.com. 
and visit parastashexpat.com to sign up for my five weekly newsletters about the City of Light. Until next time, à bientôt à Paris.